Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, I talked to a lady that uh, used to attend our church, and she was a banker, so she worked at the bank, and I don't even remember what capacity, um, but we got talking about uh, her being at the bank, and, and I couldn't help it, and I asked her, I said, well, do you ever come across counterfeit bills? How many of that would be a question you would ask somebody like that? Anybody else beside me? Okay, one other person. So anyway, uh, so work with me on it. And, 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 and I said, and if you ever do come across counterfeit bills, do, you, um, do, do they give you training to, to kind of spot a counterfeit bill? And she said, well, I have come across a couple counterfeits, um, but the training, they don't give us training. The training is, is supposedly we handle the authentic the real thing, so much and so often we know what it looks like, we know how it feels, we know how it sounds, we, we, know, we know the authentic thing so much that it's easier to identify when a counterfeit crosses our desk. Ah, and I thought, wow, do you know that everything that God has created to be a blessing to us or a benefit to us or something that he has created for us to enjoy on this earth and in this life? How many know there's a great counterfeiter, right? And and the devil will come and he will counterfeit those things. Or at bare minimum, he, he will try to get us to fulfill a right desire in a wrong way. How many know, I'm not talking to you, but you know somebody who I'm talking about, right? You see, the enemy, he will always take what God created and the desire that's in us that's okay, but he will try to get us to fulfill a right desire and fulfill it in a wrong way. And, and, and what happens then is that our passions then, they become perverted. Now, I know that's a word that you don't typically hear in church, but let me give you the definition of that so you can understand. To pervert something means to alter something from its original intent. How many know that there's an enemy out there that's trying to pervert the passions that God puts in us, the blessings that he has for us, and at bare minimum, he's trying, he's trying to counterfeit those things. And by now, you've already jumped on the bandwagon. You know where I'm going with this. And that is the subject of sex. And that God made sex and God created it. It's not something that we accidentally stumbled into and God just turns his head while we're engaged in that. Come on, everybody. God created that for our benefit. But how many know the enemy has worked really hard to try to pervert or distort it from its original intent, and he has worked hard to counterfeit the original intent of a blessing that God gave us. So much so, it's become so perverted in our nation that it's hard for us to even talk about it because our perspective of it is usually a little bit if not all, but at least a little bit perverted that we're even uncomfortable talking about it. Oh, I didn't think I'd get a lot of amens in the house today. It's going to be a quiet day at Radius today. 
Everybody's looking straight forward. Yeah, looking around. All right, here we go. Our theme verse, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. I wish I, I need to take a picture of you guys. You, some of you look scared. I'm just saying, some of you look scared. Did he say the S word in church? All right, here we go. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, here, here's our theme verse. It says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. We talked about this last week, how we have to have more than manpower or willpower. We need divine or supernatural power. Right, everybody? Come on now. And, uh, and the divine power demolishes strongholds, and we demolish arguments and every pretense that self sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. Okay, so we've been talking about overcoming addictions and breaking strongholds, and sex and money are two of the biggest strongholds in our culture and in our nation, or at least they're the two uh, that are destroying relationships and marriage more than anything else. Now, I'm not saying there's not other things, but those two by far are leading the way. And how many know sometimes we can have a perverted view of both those subjects, money and sex? And, um, and here's the problem with that. The problem with that is they're the two least talked about in church. Don't you think the church ought to be dealing with the things that wor the world is dealing with? They're the least talked about because people get nervous, especially when we get on the money thing. Um, uh, but they're the two most that are being used to destroy our lives. So today, we're going to take a very baby look, a very foundational look at sexual strongholds. And I know, it's hard to say amen right there. But I don't believe the church should stay quiet about what has become loud in our society. Come on, I, I need a little support on that, all right? And, and right now, we're living in a time, and you know this, sex at all ages, all stages, all preferences has become mainstream. It's no longer hidden. When I grew up, uh, you know, we used to hear a term like this, what happens in this house? See, all right. But now, what happens in this house goes on the Oprah show. You know what I mean? Or whatever the newest thing is now. I mean, it's like it's talked about. It, it, we text about it. We, we post about it. It's no longer secretive anymore. And Jesus told us something. He said, in the last days, we would be living in a time like Noah and Lot. And if you study those times in history, there was this increase of sexual promiscuity. Now, I understand there's preteens in the room. I get it. I'm going to do my best. I will work hard to keep this rated PG-13. But here's what I want you to know. If you're getting nervous, your kids are already hearing a worldview, and maybe it's time they hear a Bible view. Can I get an amen on that? They can handle this. <laughs> They might handle it better than some of you, all right? Grandmas and grandpas, it's like, I see you blushing already. All right, here we go. But let me give a little disclaimer to this. You see, here's my disclaimer. I want you to hear this part. We live in a fallen world, which means we have a sin nature. So let's be really careful not to throw stones at those that have different sins than we have. 
for all have sinned. This might not be your issue, uh, but let's not throw stones at those that have this issue. So I grew up in, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I lived in Mississippi. I lived in a dry county, and it wasn't only the Bible Belt, it was the buckle of the Bible Belt. We were very conservative, mainline denominational, all kind of rules. And, um, and, and so I grew up in a church that when it came to sex, the church taught that sex was dirty, it was ugly, and it was bad. So save it for the person you love, you know? <laughs> all right. It was very confusing, you know what I'm talking about, right? But again, God created sex, and in fact, there's, there's so much in the scriptures about sex that I can't even read some of the scriptures about sex in church on Sunday because it makes people blush. Have you ever tried to read the book of Song of Solomon? Man, that's a, whoo, that's a risque book right there in the Bible. I mean, here's one example. Proverbs 5 says, may her breasts satisfy you always. Now, see, some are already looking down like, did he's did he say that? And then it goes on to say, may you be captivated by her love. Now in Hebrew, that translates bow chicky chicky bow wow. That's what it, that, that's, or something kind of like that. And I might have been reading out of context. I'm not sure. But it does say in, in captivated that, it, that, that, sh- that you guys would remain intoxicated by one another. That's love that lasts a lifetime, right? That's more than a fling or a one-night stand. Come on, am I right about it? So here's what I want to do today. I can't dive as deep as we would like to, particularly here on a Sunday morning. Um, I have a men's life group, um, and then in that men's life group, we're launching four more life groups that aren't necessarily advertised on our webpage, and, and we can help set up guardrails in your life in this area. But today, I just want to give some basic things to at least get your wheels spinning so that you would go to the Lord on these issues. We'll also, at the end of the message, give a online counseling if that's something that you need. So let me do this. Let me, let's just talk about some of the lies our culture will tell us today about the subject of sex that are contrary to what God's word tells us. Let me give a scripture reference in Romans chapter number one. Here's what it says. It says, they knew God. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm not preaching this to those that don't know God because those that don't know God did not sign up to live the way that we signed up to live. Come on, are you hearing that? So I'm not going to somebody else telling them what they ought to be doing, all right? Uh, I'm talking, and Paul's talking to the church or those that knew God. It says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And, and so here's what began to happen when they didn't live for God. It says, and they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Hmm. Let that line sink in for just a little bit, right? And, and, and then it goes on, it says, claiming to be wise, whew, that, that, that describes a lot about what we're seeing every day in our culture, doesn't it, right? And, and, and it says that they instead became utter fools. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. 
Let's dive into some of these real quick. Uh, again, I, I, can't, I, I can't exhaust these subjects. I'm just giving some things uh, to contradict the world's thinking. So here's some sex lies. Number one is that sex is an animalistic action. You'll hear that a lot by non-believers that, well, sex is just like an animalistic, it's just our instinct, that kind of thing. And, and so the world says, go with your instinct, <laughs> go with your feelings. But how many of you have lived long enough to know your feelings will lie to you? And what you felt like in one moment will feel totally different in the next. Even classic rock bands. Come on, where's my classic rock fans, anybody? How many, how many were Boston fans? Let me see your hands. Uh, even they know enough to know that it's more than a feeling. Come on now, right? Uh, right? And it's true. And I'm not trying to be funny there, but even the world knows that this sex thing has to be more than an animalistic, it has to be more than a basic instinct, it has to be more than a feeling because our feelings will lie. If, and by the way, if I followed my feelings, I probably wouldn't be your pastor. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Right. This is where we don't teach enough on this, in my opinion, in American Christianity, but this is where we have to take up our cross and die to ourself. You see, just because you're battling with something doesn't give us the right to give in to that something. Just because you desire it and hunger it does not mean that it is right. Because it could be an original passion that God put in us, but the world system and the strongholds have taken that passion and perverted that passion. This is where we have to take up our cross. And, and, and so it's more than an animalistic action. Matter of fact, they even call it, when they talk to the sex talk, it's even called the birds and the bees. You know, act like it's a, uh, in fact, speaking of animals, how many hunters do I have in the room? Uh, deer hunters specifically. I, I'm not a hunter, but I talk to guys in the church all the time that are, and it's quite often I'll go to a guy's house and there's a deer head or an elk or a bear on the wall, you know, and, uh, and, and, and here's what I know. Bucks are smart, and, and they have an advantage. Um, they, they hear better. They see better. They, they, have you ever been in the woods? I, I do a lot of hiking, and I've come across deer, and, and they're the most suspicious animal you'll ever find because they're scared of ending up on your wall, and they view everything they view every sound as a threat. So you ever walked in the woods? Come on, I'm seeing some of my hunting guys out there. And them deer, man, they're just like, they're ninjas. They're walking around. They take a bite. And then they can't even chew in peace. They're looking around, you know. I mean, they're on guard. Every little twig, a leaf falls, and they're ready to go, right? Until the rut. Come on, right? And he said that kind of in a manly, you know, guttural kind of a way. Thank you for helping me there, Glenn. I appreciate it. When they're in the rut and the doe is in heat, that same ninja, he's out like, oh, I wonder where she is. Woohoo! Huh? Right? In other words, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Right, everybody? And that's how they end up on your wall. And they have that look. They're dead. They're mounted on the wall and they're like, I'm preaching this because I don't want you to end up on the devil's trophy wall. 
I know it's easy to look at the pastor and say, oh, man, he's so old-fashioned. Listen, God has a passion in us, but let's not let the enemy pervert that. Number two is sex is just a recreational activity. It's just, it's just recreational. It's just for fun. And, but it, it's more than that, friends. God made it, yes, to be physical, but he also made it to be emotional, and he also made it to be a spiritual bond that happens between a husband and a wife. In other words, we are made in the image of God. Let me walk you through this. And, and I want you to show, I want to show you that it's not just a reactional, it's, excuse me, a re recreational activity. There's something deeper to it. When God made Adam, the Bible, your Bible, my Bible, it opens up, it says, in the beginning. And then it goes through some things. And then it says, and God said, let us... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, let us make man in our image. And so God didn't need a counterpart to produce a child, so he created Adam. God is all-sufficient, he's all one, and he created Adam in his image. The word Adam means all one. So there was a counterpart for every animal, but Adam was all one. I know it's kind of a freaky picture, isn't it? And God looked down and said, that poor man, it is not good for men to be alone. And all the ladies said, yeah. And so God caused a sleep. <laughs> that was a little too aggressive, but anyway, God... <laughs> God created a sleep to come on Adam so that he could create woman. But watch this. He didn't go back to the earth to create woman. He reached inside of what he already created and pulled the feminine part out of Adam. And now we have male and now we have female. And so if you've ever read that story, uh, he separated them. He woke up. He looked across the garden, says, that's your wife. And then the, depending on what translation you read, it says that they went and they lay together. That is the act of sex that is consummating that two have been separated and sex then becomes the celebration of the two, watch this, becoming one again. He was all one. The feminine side was separated out of him, but sex then becomes the celebration that God gave us to bring the two back together again, and it is a celebration. Come on, can I get some Casey and the Sunshine Band music right now, you know, all right? Uh, okay, and, and, and so it's the two becoming one. If there's any, in my opinion, one of the greatest challenges in marriages in America today is that we have lost this whole idea of becoming one. We, we come together, we get married, we sleep in the same bed, we pay the same bills, we raise the same kids, but oftentimes we are doing it with two different sets of blueprints, and we have two different lives, and the two are still living two different lives under one roof, not becoming one. Number three, the third lie that culture will tell you is that sex is just an isolated event. You know, it's just kind of, it's compartmentalized to the moment. It didn't really mean anything. I was just bored on a Saturday night. Uh, it has no ramifications beyond this moment. But if you believe what I just said about the two becoming one, that's what God created that for, so that you, we become one, one, not multiples, <laughs> one with one another. 
Again, I'm not throwing stones. I don't know your past. I'm not even interested in your past. But how many of you are so glad that God can redeem and forgive our past? Amen, everybody, right? Okay. Number four, let me give you one more. Number four is that sex is just physical. Um, And it's not. And the more birthdays you have, you'll realize that it's more, and it has to be more, than just hips, lips, and fingertips, you know? It has to be more than that. Come on now. Because all those parts aren't where they used to be. The old gray mare. Oh, never mind. Sorry, right? But no, it's spiritual. Matter of fact, um, the book of Matthew, you can go look at this later. It's a powerful parable in Matthew chapter number 25. It gives us the parable uh, of the ten virgins. And, and it's kind of an interesting story. And, and it really kind of shows their cultural way of becoming engaged and then eventually being married. But it also, it paints a wonderful picture of salvation. So the, the, the ten virgins in Matthew 25. So the, the groom, uh, he comes and he proposes to the woman or to her family. In that custom, he would, first of all, he would bring a gift. I don't mean this to be degraded. I'm just talking about their custom. In their custom, he would bring a gift, not necessarily to purchase her, but for lack of better terms, to negotiate for her. And, and he might bring a cow. How does that make you feel, ladies? Uh, he might bring the best cow of the herd. If she is really pretty, maybe two cows. No, I don't know about that part. But, but he would bring something in exchange. He would give something up in exchange for the opportunity to become engaged with her. Uh, come on. If you've been in church a while, you might start connecting the dots. And then they would become engaged, but there was no consummation of the marriage yet. In other words, there wasn't sex yet. There was no honeymoon yet. And so then he, if, if, if the negotiation was reached and a, and a deal was reached, he would go away, and, and usually for about a year, and he would build a home, and, and he would get things together. Or, let me say it another way, he would prepare a place. And while he was away preparing a place, in Matthew 25, the virgins had to keep their candle burning. They had to keep their lamp burning because one day the groom is going to come back for the bride. And the bride needs to be ready for when the groom shows up because he wants to bring her. And and if he goes away to prepare a place, he wants to go get her to bring her back to be where he is. Mm, Anybody connecting these dots so far? There is a Jesus that loves us so much, he came to this earth, if you would, to negotiate or to pay payment for us, the church, otherwise called the bride of Christ, and if we'll accept his engagement or we'll accept his gift of grace or we'll accept his salvation, he goes away and he prepares us for a place. Uh, He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Uh, If it were not true, I would not have told you, but one day I'm coming back to get you so that you can be where I am. Come on now, right? I want you to understand there is super spiritual significance to sex and what it represents. If sex then is the celebration of two that have been separated coming back together as one, salvation is symbolic of that because then salvation becomes the celebration of what sin has separated man from God or the bridegroom from the bride. But he comes back because he's prepared a place for us and the celebration is salvation in Jesus. Come on, everybody, right? 
Let me say it another way. There's a whole bunch there because there were witnesses. Come on, tell me that's not weird. There's witnesses to make sure they consummated the marriage. There's signs to show that it was. When Jesus came, there were witnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection. And the blood is the covenant. Come on, everybody. That salvation is the celebration. Let me say it another way in our practical language. I would say it this way. Enjoy the fire. (laughs) Enjoy the fire, but put rocks around the fire so that the fire doesn't go to the places that it should not go. Mm. If I was just talking to guys, excuse me for a minute, ladies. If I was talking to the guys, I'd say, enjoy the fire. Enjoy big fires, enjoy little fires. Enjoy creative fires, but just build rocks around the fire that you enjoy your own fire, and you stoke your own fire, and you fan your own flame. Come on, everybody, right? Are you hearing that today? Right? See, watch this. Real love is defined by a commitment to a person not a feeling. Not a feeling. Because feelings change. Come on now. I mean, Patty was head over heels for me, but a couple days into marriage, those feelings changed. You know what I'm saying? But she's committed to a person. We we, got to commit to a person, not a feeling, because if you're always chasing a feeling, you'll always be chasing another experience, and eventually that isn't enough experience, so I'm going to try, and the experiences get crazier and crazier and crazier. Come on, is anybody hearing what I'm saying? 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 15, here's what it says. Do you not know that your bodies were members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and uh, uh, unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? See, there's that, the one thing. He's one with her, right? For it is said the two will become one, one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. It's interesting. Uh, some people do. It depends your church background. You'll come in this building and, and you'll say, oh, the auditorium, or, or you'll call it the sanctuary. And uh, I don't call this room the sanctuary. Uh, I just call it the auditorium because as New Testament believers, God doesn't dwell in a sanctuary made with hands. God dwells in us, and we are his sanctuary. And if I am his sanctuary, I need to watch out what I'm allowing to come and dwell in his house. Right? 1 Corinthians six eighteen. here's what it says. Watch this. Uh, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins, watch, this is powerful, and and I'd really like to do a study on this. It says, all other sins a man commits are outside his body. So what this verse is basically saying, there's something about sexual sin that does something different than most other sins. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever experienced some of the results of that, you understand the feeling that comes with that, all right? Um, and so, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple or a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Again, we're not talking to the world's standard of sexuality. We're talking to the church. It's interesting that most of what Paul says about sexual activity, he writes it to the church at Corinth because the church at Corinth They were perverted in their sexual passions. They loved God, but they had some crazy stuff going on in their church and in the marriages in their church. So Paul is having to pastor and say, don't do that no more, all right? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay, let me wrap this up with some real basic elementary steps just to get you pointed in the right direction. I want to talk some real simple things, overcoming sexual strongholds. Some of these will overlap the previous two weeks, uh, but you also need to look at the previous two weeks and overlap them with what I'm going to give you. I just didn't want to give you 10 points. I want to give you some very basic elementary steps and overcoming sexual strongholds. Let me start with a verse in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, It says this. It says, God wants you to be pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin. So what, what the Scripture is telling is there is a sexual sin. Yes, God created sex, but we can take it out of bounds right, everyone? So, so uh, stay clear of sexual sin. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and to be clean. All right? So here we go. Let's talk about overcoming some sexual strongholds. Number one is make a commitment to God's way. Now, listen, when I'm standing up here and I'm just saying that, it om- I can almost hear the argument. It sounds shallow. It sounds it sounds kind of pediatrics of Christianity. It sounds so simple. But how many know this might be harder to walk out than it is to talk out? Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to get up in here and just say, make a commitment to God's way. And if you've been in church for a long time, you might let that land on a hardened heart or a calloused heart because you've heard that all your life. But I want us to look at it fresh again and say, make a commitment to God's way. Not the world's way, not the way you've seen growing up, not maybe your family's way, not your family origin's way, not the way you did it in your previous marriage. No, make a commitment, not to doing it the good way, make a commitment to God's way and God's ideal and God's plan for something that he gave us to enjoy. Come on, are you still with me today, right? Um, Now, watch this. This is a conscious decision in the mind. Remember, we're talking about strongholds. Remember a stronghold? It's a wrong way of thinking about something. Okay? So the commitment, this is a conscious decision that happens in the mind and in the will. Now, now it doesn't stop there, but you've got to make a commitment to that. First of all, you've got to draw a line in the sand. Uh, And I know emotions, and I know feelings, and I know appetites, and I know temptations are going to come. That's not what I'm talking about yet. You have to draw a line in the sand before you're in the heat of the moment. Because if you're waiting to figure out where your boundaries are in the heat of the moment, (laughs) you're going to cross the boundaries. Right, everybody? So this is a conscious decision. This is a talk that you have with you and God. And this is my decision. I'm committed to doing it your way. 
I get asked these questions all the time, especially when I talk about these hot topics. Well, Ken, what's the church's opinion on, and then we fill in the blank, because there's all kind of variations, right? And they ask me that question. And what's your opinion on? Well, I don't have the luxury of having an opinion. I have made a commitment to do in life God's way. I have made a commitment that I'm going to have a biblical worldview. And so even when my opinion doesn't agree with what the Bible says, my opinion is irrelevant because I have made a conscious decision that I'm going to do life God's way. Yeah. See how crowded it is? Look around this room. Let's see how we do next Sunday after a message like this. All right? And, and we have to have a biblical worldview. We have to be willing to change our mind, not a feeling. That's where people get wrong. Well, that's just the way I'm wired. Well, that's just the way I am. Or I have a high sexual appetite. Or I have a high sex drive. And that's just the way I am. I'm not asking you to change your feeling. I'm asking you to change your mind. The feelings might not catch up for a long time. <laughs> yeah, don't say amen. All right. But just that I'm going to leave here committed to doing this God's way. Now, again, let me just stop a minute here because I'm being very direct. But I want to make sure you know there is no judgment in this house. And there is no judgment when you come to Christ. And there is, you have never gone too far that God can't come rescue you right where you're at and begin to restore and rebuild and tear down the strongholds and put healthy appetites in us. Amen, everybody? God can clear and restore, and that's what he does. Number one is make a commitment to God's way. Number two, then, after you make the commitment, then number two is you have to manage that commitment. Or let me say it another way, you have to manage your mind. How many know every thought that comes through your mind is not godly? Hello? Remember I said a few weeks ago, you can't help that birds fly over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Okay, you can't help that crazy thoughts. I mean, we live in this crazy world. You don't even have to look far to get bad thoughts. Uh, um, they're, they're everywhere. You can't even drive to church without seeing billboards and advertisements and all kind of those things. But, uh, so I'm not saying that those thoughts never come. What we have to do is manage those thoughts. Um, so, so let me just say this. I, I like to think my sermons are really powerful and life-changing, but this is a message that by itself, it won't work. You have to leave here with the information, and you, only you can make the commitment. Only you can crawl up in your head and manage those thoughts. You have to manage what you see. You have to manage what you hear. You have to manage where you go. You have to manage what you dwell on. Come on, everybody. You have to manage that. I can't do it. Uh, can you see me following you around with a big giant, you, you know, magnifying glass? I, I can't do. Can you imagine me in the movie theater with the uh 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 uh? <laughs> the porn industry revenue, watch this, is, I looked this up this week, is greater than Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the National Hockey League, the National Basketball Association, all combined. And the average age of a pornographic site visitor is the age of 10 years old. Yeah. And we're afraid to talk about these subjects in church. We need to talk about them, and we need to provide avenues for healing. 
But first we need to establish you're in a safe place. No one will throw stones at you. We want God's best for you. Can I get an amen in this house? Amen. Psalms chapter 101, it says this, and this is about managing your mind. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Imagine if we just did that. And by the way, we like to think that pornography is a, is a man battle, and it, and it largely is, but the biggest growing group of pornography watchers are late teen, early 20 females. Wow. You see, the, the enemy's not prejudiced. He's out to rob, kill, and destroy. Right, everyone? So I will set before my eyes. If this is a battle for you, there's certain places you shouldn't go. There's certain movies you just should not watch. And it might be, it might be you know, another brother that's a brother in the Lord might be talking about it. It's okay. We're not throwing stones at him. But if this is your issue, there's certain things you got to manage that maybe somebody else doesn't have to manage. Hello? Oh, and by the way, before you think they're better than you, I promise you there's another area they have to manage. Or they should be managing. All right. Uh, number three, uh, the third uh, way is to maintain healthy relationships. Now, this can go a lot of different directions, um, but maintain healthy relationships. You need to have someone that knows your secrets. Not everybody can handle your secrets. If you share your secrets with everybody, uh, th there's going to be some people that will drop you like a hot potato. But you've got to have somebody that knows your secrets because if your secrets stay in dark, the, more, the, the, the longer they stay in dark, the more perverted those passions become. Okay? And, and, and let me just say something. I, I, I don't mean to be stereotypical on this, but, but, but you really need to be... Date. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. So, so if you're a Christian uh, and you're single, you shouldn't be dating... A non-Christian guy. I, we used to call that missionary dating. <laughs> I'm going to date him until I win him to the Lord. And, and, and there's a whole bunch there that I don't have time to get into this morning because I need to wrap this up. But, but be, uh, let me just say this. Ladies, hang with me for just a minute. Single ladies, if he's pressuring you to do stuff that you know that you shouldn't be doing physically, sexually, if he's pressuring you, break up with him right now. I mean right now, like get your phones out right now. Like text him right this second and get your phone out and, and text him and says, my pastor said, in fact, take a picture of me. Now I'm being funny to make a point. The enemy is out to rob, kill, and destroy Come on, right, everyone? And if you're unequally yoked, you have different value systems and different worldviews. Okay, let's stop there. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I, 
I mean, I'm, I'm just a messenger, guys. James chapter number 5, verse number 16, make, make this common practice, confess your sins to each other. I've preached on this many, many times. We confess our sin to God. We confess our faults with one another. God will forgive us of our sins, but when we confess with one another, that's where we find healing, all right? And, and maintaining healthy relationships, that, that's what the original bridesmaids and groomsmen were to do. They were the best friends of the groom and the bride. And, and they, they were involved in the courtship. They were involved in the, in the engagement. They were in golf. Hey, boy, you got home late last night. You drove her home, and it's only a 15-minute drive. Where were you for the other 45 minutes? It's accountability. It's someone in our life that's watching out for the best in our life. Maintain healthy relationships. Um, and, 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 again, I know we just launched life groups but I'm just going to say again, get involved in a life group. And, and if we don't have the life group that you like, then, then get together with some people in the church. Establish some friendships so eventually when you have a crisis, you already have a crew. And, and men in the room, um, yes, we're working on more life groups uh, and more specialized life groups. But men in the room, come join me here on Tuesday night. Just one time. And hear my heart about where we're going and what we're trying to accomplish. Because I want to raise some modern-day knights in this house that are mighty men of God. Amen? Come on now. All right. Um, 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 <laughs> You know, one of the things that's interesting about relationships is you help me live better. You do, because I know that every week I'm going to get up here and face you. Now imagine breaking that into a small circle where every week I'm going to gather together with my friends, all right? Um, I, I used to always imagine this, and even today, and, and uh, um, I know that maybe you think, oh, it's because your relationship with God that you've stayed, uh, uh, your marriage has gone 35 years and, and, and all of that, but I, I used to imagine the outcome of any sin I'd fall into, because in the moment it could sound fun, but I always like to play things way out, so that if I got caught in an affair, I'd have to look at my daughter and my son and tell them that I let their mother down. Now, I'm not throwing stones. I understand in, the chances are in this room Somebody's had to do that. I'm not throwing stones. And it's difficult to keep some from going in the ditch while making sure you don't feel condemned if you've already wrecked in the ditch. There is no stones. There is no condemnation. God's grace has covered it. And if it's not this ditch, we all have a ditch. Right, everyone? Come on. Will you say amen right there? Let me give you the last one, and I'll be out of your way. Number four is uh, magnify God's plan for your life. Magnify. In other words, exalt God's plan. If God says this is the borders and the parameters and the way you ex can experience this thing I gave you called sex, then magnify that. Exalt that. Don't chop it down. Don't make excuses for. Don't. Well, it's not relevant for our world. No. Magnify. In, in other words, keep it up there real high, a priority. God's plan for our life. I'll close with this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter number 7, it says, with promises like this to pull us on, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. 
And I know someone's here arguing, yeah, but I've tried. Yeah, but I've tried. Yeah, but I've tried. And I would say, try again. Take these principles that were given on Sunday. Begin to really apply them. Don't just hear them. Really apply them. Everything I'm talking about, from life groups to friends to prayer, all of the things, and begin the journey. Does it mean you'll never fall down again? Nope. But it might mean that there's longer seasons between falling down. Remember when the children of Israel left Egypt? They turned around after the first day, and there was still the images of Egypt. Big old statues. And, but then they just kept on walking. And eventually, as they kept on the journey, the images that they were once forced to worship became smaller as their journey toward the promised land became greater. My encouragement to you is get on the journey. It probably won't all heal in one day because it took you 30 years to get in that rut. It might take you more than a 30-minute sermon to get you out of it, but keep on journeying and seeing if the things of the past don't become distant to the things that God has for you. Amen? Amen. Will you receive that today? i got to close right there. Uh, you could take a picture of, I think we have a counseling, an online counseling. Uh, this is a great counseling uh, uh, ministry, faithful counseling. That would be a place you could go to, do counseling in the privacy of your own home. All right, you can take a picture of that if you want. And uh, would you stand with me? i got to let you go today.